This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this, this episode, we have Patrick Maroy, Managing Director EMEA at Airship. Patrick, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thank you, Art. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for coming. Okay. To save it or leave at the time of change would be understatement. Pick up any area of your life and you can find a substantial change there. Many changes were caused or accelerated by COVID-19 last year. In the mobile industry specifically, a titanic shift was caused by the notion of privacy and safety, ownership of people's digital information. Questions such as how can people protect their online data? Should they let companies use their data, even anonymized, for generating profit for those companies? All these questions are being heavily debated all the time. In this episode, we want to help brands to better understand this new environment and to do so, we've invited Patrick. But before doing all that, so, uh, tell us about yourself, your background. Uh, how did you get involved into the mobile space? Sure. Well, um, so I actually became an entrepreneur in uh, 2000. Uh, I was still a, a student at the time. And you know how um, you know, big American entrepreneurs have started their businesses in a garage. Uh, well, me and my, my partners, as we were good uh, Frenchmen, as you can hear from, from my accent, uh, well, we, we launched our business in our uh, kitchen. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, very, very French uh, way of, of launching a startup. I like it better. Uh, <laughs> so we, we first launched a, um, a free lottery website, which quickly became um, you know, a very good way to collect qualified and uh, opted in user data. Um, and you know that was with actual consent, so quite revolutionary at at the time. And that enabled us to become the the leading email marketing uh, company in France. Uh, and that's where I built a very strong customer marketing expertise. So we did that from two thousand to two thousand and nine. Uh, we sold it to a UK company. Uh, we stayed uh, for three years there. And uh, then we went on a break. And when we came back uh, after a few back and forth on several ideas, um, you know, that was in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And it became quite obvious that there was a mobile revolution that was happening, um, you know, dr- driven prob- you know, mostly by, by the iPhone and the applications. Uh, and you know, it, it, it was quite clear to us that, um, you know, that was the, the next thing that we had to do. Uh, and that's, you know, the, the mobile device would, you know, probably become like the remote control of our, of our digital mm-hmm. lives. And, you know, some, some might say even of our lives, period. Um, yeah. So, you know, f- for brands, we thought that the mobile uh, and the mobile device uh, would provide uh, a unique experience and would be really um, mandatory for brands to uh, to adapt and to uh, to leverage. So that's why we, we created uh, a mobile business. Uh, it was called Ad for Screen at the time, 
and we had a mobile, uh, a mobile agency uh, business at the time, as well as technologies. And after a few years, we, we made a spin-off uh, and uh, created Axengage, uh, which was the um, co leading continental Europe um, push notification technology. Uh, and we, you know, we, we drove it for a few years. We, we became a European, European leader. And as we were exploring you know, various ways to, uh, continue, to continue to accelerate, that's when we, we met with Airship. That was really uh, the pioneer of that space and really our, our model. Um, so the, the the fit went really well. Uh, we saw that they were, you know, there could be some very interesting synergies, mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's when we decided to uh, to merge. Uh, and um, yeah, and, and now we're part of part of Airship since uh, 2019. So uh, really excited about that. That's great. I see a nice uh, transition from getting your expertise with messaging via email desktop. And once the mobile hit, you had an expertise to adapt to this new environment. Yeah. Um, like pretty much like Apple was using their expertise with mobile computers to create an iPhone, leveraging their uh, expertise from previous Rome. Speaking about Airship, um, please tell us about your company, because uh, uh, I have a feeling that some of our listeners they have a mental picture of real airship, <laughs> like, a, like a Zeppelin. At least that's the case with me. So please tell us about your company. Sure. So uh, no, we have nothing to do with uh, with Zeppelins. Um, so so airship, we're the, the pioneer and the worldwide leader for mobile app experience. So what we do is that we help you know big brands such as you know ASOS, uh, BBC, um, Air France, uh, Carrefour, Starbucks, you know, brands mm -hmm. like that uh, to, to enhance and to enrich their user experience within their mobile apps uh, with a goal of increasing the, the user retention, the user engagement, also the knowledge, and ultimately the user value. Um, and, and we do that uh, through a, a platform that we call the App Experience Platform that helps our customers to develop their mobile audience uh, through different messaging channels, so mobile app and web push notifications, but also SMS and mobile wallets. Mm -hmm. We also help them to create um, easy and flexible in-app experiences so that they can um, you know, en enrich the user onboarding experience that they can stimulate uh, user um, um, feature adoptions, for instance, uh, and also to, to increase their conversions. Uh, and also the goal of that platform is to uh, develop the user knowledge and the actual app um, service itself with uh, optimization and A-B testing capabilities. So basically, you know, with, with all of that, uh, our customers can just enrich the, the experience of their users within their app. And it's very important because, you know, we, we, we feel that app really is, is the preferred destination. And this is where you have the best customers. So if you're not enhancing this app experience, then you're just, you know, um, um, missing a lot of the value of your, of your business. Absolutely. I think I will be, next time I will be drinking say, Starbucks coffee, I will be remembered that you guys are part of why that coffee is that great. I mean, the whole experience is good because <laughs> you're helping to uh, elevate brand even higher and help it to build a better product. 
Okay. Uh, that's nice to remember. Um, now, and just yeah, sure. Sorry, no, I mean, and just in terms of like size and so on. So we're about like three hundred people in uh, on three continents and uh, eight countries. So we're we're quite global, and you know, we're a lot of the times in the air, <laughs> also to to travel. Uh, so yeah, three hundred people, a lot of engineers, obviously, because we're a, a SaaS company, so more than hundred and twenty engineers, and I specifically managed uh, EMEA business. Um, so uh, in Europe, we have offices in Paris, London, and Munich, uh, and uh, but also, of course, in you know other you know, areas in in the world like uh, San Francisco, Santa Barbara, uh, Portland, uh, and also Singapore. Oh, you have, you have an office in Munich. I do remember seeing Airship in Munich when I was walking there, being on my vacation a few years ago. So there is a slight connection with that Airship your company, I guess. Um, that was actually a really nice experience to see that airship in the air um, on a daily basis. Pretty beautiful sight. All right. Um, now, we live in a time of big changes of the internet environment in general and mobile space in particular. Well, perhaps the central figure uh, of all these changes is privacy with a capital P. Things like uh, growth, innovation, expansion, these are the things that were on the radar of CEOs yesterday. Today, the privacy is upfront and Apple is a huge player in all this uh, change. What would you suggest uh, to brands to do in this new environment, how they should adapt? Sure, well, I mean, it's, it's a fair observation. So. I still feel that CEOs are, are still kept up at night by, you know, growth, innovation topics and so on. Uh, but clearly, yes, uh, privacy has risen to really a very high importance, uh, level of importance for, for organizations. So, you know, th that is linked to the power of, of mobile technologies and devices. Uh, it's, it's a device that we have always on, uh, that is always with us. So it's really in, in, embodied into our, uh, into our lives. Uh, and as a result, uh, it was important to have uh, good privacy regulations. Uh, and as you said, it, it, it came through uh, governments, but also directly um, the, the mobile platforms and specifically Apple. Uh, and if you look back over the past you know, three, four years, uh, we've seen regulations such as uh, GDPR in Europe, but also mm -hmm. CCPA in California. Yep. Uh, we also have the uh, e-privacy, uh, so with the consent to integrate a tracker. But perhaps more importantly, we've had a lot of platform changes uh, driven, obviously, by, by Apple mostly. Uh, and, um, you know, we've seen pretty much the end of the third-party cookies. Uh, we've seen the, you know, consent for IDFA uh, to be the norm now. And, you know, since iOS 14, 14.5, uh, <laughs> to be precise. Uh, we've seen also a lot of changes in iOS 15 on, on emails. Uh, for instance, the fact that by, by default, um, the opening tracking will be, uh, will be blocked. Uh, but there's also other things uh, such as the um, ability for users to use an email alias. Uh, that's something that you know, some, some companies have not seen. Uh, and we've also seen the rise of, uh, of the focus uh, capabilities yeah, on, on Apple. That's yeah, right. Exactly. So, you know, I see all of, of these changes as, as a win for, for consumer privacy, but it does create, you know, some challenges for, for companies that, as you said, have to adapt to that, uh, to that newer era. 
And I think that the first point is, first of all, to understand that there's a, a new era, there's a new paradigm, and there's going to have to be some equal value exchange between the brand and the user. And the users, they want more control, they want more transparency, and they are open to data collection if uh, the brands are, are able to bring them relevancy and a benefit for them. So we, we've seen that, for instance, Gartner, a big um, you know, a technology uh, consultancy firm, uh, has predicted that brands that actually provide uh, user-level control of, of like marketing and data uh, mm -hmm. will reduce by 40% their churn and increase lifetime value by 25%. So it's really also an opportunity for brands to take advantage of that uh, new paradigm, basically. So in a, in a very practical level, uh, in terms of data collection, uh, it means that brands have to be transparent. They have to explain why uh, they want to collect data and the benefits for the users. And that's how you're going to get users to be more engaged and also more opted in. Right. Um, I have a good example for that. Uh, we work for a company called KLM, so a large, you know, I mean, the, the leading uh, uh, Dutch uh, airline. And um, they explained that they need the push notification opt-in to provide important travel updates. And we know that uh, from our research, because Airship has conducted a, a very large consumer research on more than 9,000 respondents, we know that typically being informed of uh, travel changes is super important to users. And 35% of users, they want to know immediately uh, through push notifications, for instance, or other communication channels uh, when um, you know, travel changes happen. So that's just like one example, but if we take the, uh, another example, such as Le Roi Merlin, so the big um, European uh, DIY uh, retail chain, um, they, they explained that um, the geolocation opt-in will help the users to benefit from um, high value features when they're in the store. So once you explain, you get just more benefits for the users and the users agree to give uh, data and to uh, and to provide uh, that that level of information that the, the companies also need. Um, a second, you know, type of um, of uh, practical implication is that um, you know third party data and and also tracked first party data are going to be scarcer. You're going to have less data that in in that um, category. Um, and as a result, it's very important to invest in zero-party data. So zero-party data is, you know, is the, the data that users willfully provide you or provides a brand. Um, usually it's through um, you know, like a data collection form um, uh, or something similar. And the first-party data is the data that, you, um, that a company uh, tracks or understands from the behaviors of their users. So this zero-party data is something which is increasingly important uh, for brands to master because they, they need that in order to be able to personalize the experience for their customers. And I, you know, I always like to, to take examples because you know, they, they, they are quite illustrating. And um, I find that, for instance, Disneyland Paris, uh, they do that very well. Uh, they have what they call golden questions, so like very... Uh, distinctive um, questions such as, you know, uh, like the age, the, um, do you have, um, uh, the, I mean, the number of children that you have and, and their age. 
And that kind of data that they ask their, their users and that people I and mean, users willfully respond to give them the possibility to then personalize very well uh, the experience and specifically the app experience. So, you know, having this capability of um, uh, collecting data to personalize the experience is also something that uh, companies have to take into uh, account in that uh, changing environment. But once you have this data, you have to be, you have to be relevant. You have to be relevant to your users. Um, so if they want more control, well, you have to give it to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's going to create a win-win relationship. Um, so typically what, what we've seen is that brands um, more and more increasingly um, will build, for instance, preference centers in order to understand what users want to receive in terms of um, topics, uh, but also sometimes in terms of frequency of, of communications. And that drives a lot more engagement from, uh, from their users. All right. Um, I just want to add a couple of uh, small things on top of what you said. That is, uh, people may not remember, but there was a time when we didn't have safety bags in our cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but these days, it's just the norm. We don't question it anymore. We just take it for granted. It should be like this. And um, I think, you know, um, part of the problem can be that people have a kind of an emotional reaction. But if, if you think about it, it does make sense. Um, you collect the data for a specific reason. Uh, you're not just collecting for the sake of collecting. You just have to be able to articulate that reason to your customers and explain it to them. Um, this is essentially what, what, what has changed because you were doing for a specific reason before and you're going to be doing for that same reason now. But the change is that you have to explain to your customers why you're doing it what's the benefit and um i don't think brands um, should have a real problem with that because they know the reason is just making sure to explain it um vividly for their customers and um in some way we're kind of uh, getting back over and over to the basics of marketing know your customers mm-hmm. the better you know them the better you're uh, set off as a business it's just right now you're not relying on Facebook or Google uh, as a third party. You're relying on your own resources, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and we feel that we really users understand that, feel that, and when there's this reci- reciprocal, basically value exchange, that's mm-hmm. when it's a win-win relationship. All right. So we're almost at the end of the fall of this year, and after a year and a half, COVID pandemic still with us. So what lessons do you believe brands should learn from this pandemic and particular pandemic, if I'm using this term correct, which I wasn't sure was the thing because I don't live in Ikea permanently. So what the, what the, what should they learn from the whole experience and not only pandemic, but the pandemic, which is relevant to UK? Sure. So, um, you know, first let, let's look at the pandemic. So, as you said, uh, it's, we're, we're still in it, uh, but but we've seen unprecedented growth uh, in in mobile usage uh, and and also in digital maturity. So that that's the major learning is that mobile usage has skyrocketed through the pandemics, and and we've seen that throughout all industries. 
Um, so people have turned to mobile to perform actions that they weren't able to do anymore. Uh, and mm -hmm. that has boosted mobile usage and, and user maturity. But they've also turned to mobile to enrich uh, their, I would say, traditional activities. So if we look at some, you know, like data, because, you know, I like to, to look at, at data, uh, you know, we've seen that, for instance, the mobile app downloads uh, have continued to increase uh, by 7% in 2020. Uh, and that shows that, you know, after a decade of, uh, you know, like mobile economy, mobile app economy, um, you know, consumers are still actively looking at new apps out of necessity or for convenience. And I remember three, four years ago, maybe four or five years ago, people were saying, now I think it's the end of apps. And we can see that it's still not, it's still not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and, you know, it's downloads, but it's also um, activity. Um, Airship data shows that we had global active app users that grew by 31% uh, last year. Um, and, and also in terms of consumer spend, and in terms of daily time spent uh, in apps, you know, there's still, you know, 20, 30% of, of growth. So, you know, continued, uh, continued, sorry, mobile maturity. And that's really, um, you know, a very, very strong learning. Um, and what we see is that there's also preference. So users have a preference for uh, certain mobile apps. Uh, for instance, uh, they, they look at uh, retail apps and, and, and users have responded to our, to our survey saying that, um, you know, like 75% uh, are, are, you know, more likely to turn to uh, retail apps and to use them more uh, than before the, the pandemic start or at the same level. So there's, there's a real shift that has happened uh, and it's there to, uh, to last. So that's really, you know, one of the, of the first learning is that um, you know there has been a huge soar in in mobile uh, in more mobile usage and it's it's creating some uh, behavior shifts that are there to last. Typically, uh, you know we're nearing the the holiday season and we see that um, you know forty eight percent of our respondents uh, expect to do three quarters or more of their purchases online, and forty seven percent actually. Are, are thinking about uh, doing three quarters or more of their online purchases through mobile. So even now, it's still it's still a very strong trend. Um, and you know, we've with, with you know one year and a half, we've probably leaped by three or four years uh, the, the the mobile usage and the mobile maturity. So um, we're going to get Black Friday from the comfort of your couch. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and out of your pocket, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that, that's the first really observation is that overall there has been a huge uh, surge in mobile usage. Now, my, my second observation is that people have turned also to mobile to do the traditional things that they were doing. Uh, and, you know, you can take, for instance, um, you know, uh, click and collect. So um, mobile has been quite key to that capability because that's where you can store uh, the proof of purchase. This is how you can uh, authenticate yourself. That's how you can also look at, locate where you need to go, uh, where to pick up uh, the, your, your, your purchases. So um, mobile has been a great companion to users uh, to enrich their, I would say, daily life. 
And, and that's why I always say that, you know, for me, mobile is the real augmented reality because it is actually augmenting your, your daily life. So, yeah, I mean, contactless capabilities have been surging. Uh, typically payments, uh, we've seen that, uh, you know, payments, contactless payments through mobile uh, has increased by three, I mean, times three, uh, typically in France. Um, so, yeah, great, um, great, um, I would say, explosion of those uh, of those usage uh, and of those interactions uh, throughout the, uh, the the pandemics. Yeah, Apple and, Pay is everywhere for sure. Yeah, yeah. So w- what it means is that it creates kind of a, a retention challenge because now consumers have also higher expectations towards uh, mobile experience. They've, they've discovered uh, your app, they've discovered new apps, they've been exposed to your competitors' apps. And as a result, it means that as a brand, you need to get your mobile presence right and you need to up your game in order to be able to uh, sustain that increased value of those mobile users. Yeah, because the 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 rules of the game, not a game, yeah. but interaction uh, with e-commerce um, have changed in a way that before pandemic, people may consider using uh, mobile out of curiosity. These days, um, being able to place orders for the groceries, anything uh, through Amazon or any, or anybody else, if there is anybody else except Amazon, um, it's just a necessity. And mm-hmm. when it's not a, you know the realm of curiosity, but the necessity, they're much more serious. Their expectations went high, and even when the pandemic, hopefully, we're gonna go away. And if you at some period of time, not completely, but you know, just going to be like a next flu or something. People will still have the higher expectations because the pandemic rise the, uh, rising up the expectations of pre-pandemic period to many um, apps, to many industries. Exactly. And w- what is interesting is that it happens for mobile, I would say as a silo, but it also happens in the real life. Uh, I like to take this example of like Walmart. So, you know, Walmart mm-hmm. is the largest retail, uh, you know, company in the world. And um, you know how in the past, basically retailers, their goal was to have their shoppers basically spend some time, browse in the alleys. And basically, you know, as you spent more time in the alleys, you would basically increase your, um, your average basket value. Now, Walmart has completely changed that. And they're rolling out new um, um, like store designs and their store designs are completely driven by the mobile app experience. So it's a completely you know, different sh- shift uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of structure, in terms of design, in terms of mindset. And now the goal in that new uh, store design is to streamline the process. So users or shoppers come inside the Walmart stores they have their mobile app, uh, their mobile, uh, their Walmart mobile app in, in their hands. And the goal for Walmart is for users to gain time, to find the product through the mobile app, through like geolocation capabilities, to be able to interact, to scan products, to see what's in that product, for instance, the components, etc. to order bakery typically through the mobile app. Uh, 
Uh, and also afterwards, of course, to be able to do contactless and self-checkout to gain time. And what I found quite um, you know, fascinating is that even the, um, you know, the, the, the signage outside, uh, the, the Walmart sign, is now you know, driven or derived from the application icon. So you can see how mobile has you know, shifted expectations inside the mobile e e ecosystem, but also in the real-life ecosystem. All right. I want to shift the gears a little bit. Yeah, let's get back to your expertise in push notifications text. How do you see this particular technology, push notifications, evolving in the coming years? Sure. So, um, you know, historically, we've been the first platform to, to send commercial notification for iOS and Android. So we were definitely the, the pioneer in push notifications. But, but today we go beyond push notifications. Uh, and as we specialize into app experience. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong, the push notifications are, are super important and they're still uh, maybe the ultimate application retention enhancer. Mm -hmm. And you can see that, you know, for instance, um, app users who receive push notifications are three times more loyal or, or, you know, or have higher retention, three times higher retention than people or users who do not receive push notifications. Um, so really it's super important. And, and it's actually also a very profitable contact channel. Um, you know, VP, one of our uh, customers, which is the European leader for uh, flash sales, they've conducted analysis and they see that push notifications, for, for instance, are 35 more profitable than email sends per thousand users. So obviously it's, it's key, there's no doubt about it, but it's not, um, it's not the only uh, you know, uh, element which is, which is core to, to our expertise and our capabilities. Um, because you know, say the user is not opt-in, you know that for instance, to receive push notifications, you need to be opt-in and there's you know, um, about 51% you know, of, of iOS users that are opt-in and 81% of Android users that are opt-in. Um, so if users are not opt-in, you need to also be able to use the other, you know, communication channels and to orchestrate them in order to bring users back inside the app. Really, the app is the preferred destination. And as a result, we, we think that, um, app, you know, com companies need to up their game and to really do everything they can to um, enrich their app experience. So that, that goes through push notifications, of course, but it goes through also orchestrating the different uh, communication channels. And what about if the user is not inside the app? So, um, sorry, if, if the user is actually inside the app. So when you're inside the app, the push notifications, um, they don't have any impact because the goal of the push notifications is to bring users back inside the app. So once you're inside the app, that's where you have other capabilities that uh, play a role. Typically, what we call in-app messages, uh, but also um, you know, uh, app experiences, you know, sometimes also chat can come into play. And, uh, and that is key because um, you know, applications are a destination. They are not a communication channel anymore. So you know, typically, you are going to be looking at um, you know, formats such as banners or interstitials or pop-ups that are targeted um, towards the customers that are displayed inside the app as the users 
are browsing mm -hmm. and that you can trigger based on their behaviors. So the whole point of those um, in-app experiences is to stimulate a certain behavior to, for instance, uh, show a, a new feature that the, that the user hasn't discovered. And as a result, to really uh, encourage the users to have the full app experience. So it goes way beyond uh, push notification. Uh, and uh, obviously, you know, since the rules uh, of, of you know, apps have changed, the, the, the rules of app experience have changed, there are lots of rules that uh, companies are going to have to go through in order to up their game. Um, and, and for me, there are three, I would say, main topics. The first topic is uh, relevancy and personalization. And it goes with the shift that we've seen in, in privacy. Second topic is sophistication. Since uh, users have much higher expectations, uh, you need to up your game in terms of like what you, in how you communicate and interact with, with the user. And I would say that the third topic is also the usability. Because if we're talking about mobile app, um, you know, mobile app is where things go faster, things are richer, things are smoother, but it's also harder in terms of uh, development because it's very reliant on, um, you know, release cycles and uh, development resources. So these are three, I would say, areas or dimensions where uh, I think the whole industry is going to go towards. Um, and if, if I look at, at how we approach that um, on, on the, I would say, on the relevancy side and personalization side, um, we know that um, you know, the, the data is, is key because it's going to be scarcer. So typically, I was talking about this zero-party data topic, right. um, how to collect data from users willfully uh, and that's, that's, you know, it's great because we, we have the chance in mobile apps of having an environment where users are actually eager, perhaps more eager than on, on websites to provide data and to answer questions. And it was quite interesting to, to discuss with Manchester United and they had, mm. um, they had seen from, you know, comparing their mobile app with their websites that users were um, I would say more keen or keener, <laughs> I don't know how to say it, uh, to provide and to answer uh, surveys or, or, uh, or questions. And once you collect that data, and of course you need to have very good targeting capabilities in order to be able to send the right message to the right user. Um, and you know, we've seen also that users want more control. So it is important to be able to provide them this capability and you can do that through preference centers. Um, and I was giving this example of VP, this um, you know, European uh, flash sales leader. They have a great application preference center where users can decide what brands they want to receive offers from, but also the, the frequency that they want to receive communications, um, you know, uh, and also the, the, the channel uh, do they want to receive those communications through push notifications or through emails? So, you know, once you have this level of granular data, then that's when you have real relevancy for the users and also great personalization. Uh, and I can give another example. Typically, for instance, uh, the BBC. Mm -hmm. You know, when when for media companies, um, you know, getting 
the right message is super important because there is a level of um, of notifications, for instance, that you're sending uh, above which you're not creating additional traffic. So the audience of your mobile app is super uh, linked to the number of notifications that you send, but above a certain a certain threshold, They're it's difficult to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what is key is to be able to find the topics that users want so that you can send more push notifications, but more importantly, more relevant push notifications. So what the BBC does is that they actually send um, uh, push notification to ask users if they want to receive more messages from that specific topic. So it can be like the royal wedding, it can be the Olympics, it can be also like you know the COVID situation. And when they do that, they have a subset of users that are extremely interested by this topic. They can send more messages and the messages that they send get four times higher open rates than I would say more regular uh, messages. So, you know, going back to what I was saying before, it's a win-win relationship. Users get relevant messages and the brand gets more engagement from, from their users. Yeah, that's, that's actually a great point uh, from what you've just said. Uh, and especially I like the part about the Manchester United's, uh, the fact that we have psychologically different profile interaction with the mobile device is you know, not necessary. We don't but I have um, that amount of uh, affection with the computer standing on a table that it was a phone that we have, um, because of its design, because of its intimacy, because of its daily use, we are more um, willing to share information with a company in a situation when the company has the right framework, the right environment for interaction between me and the company. Okay, that's that. That was terrific uh, answer. And now I have just a few quick questions that are not related to the topic on the table. These are the questions I'm asking every guest on this show to know him or her a little bit better. Rapid fire questions. And here goes number one. What smartphone do you have now? Have you been switching between iOS and Android, or just staying one side all the time? Um, so right now I have an iPhone 12 Pro. Uh, I have, I mean, I have some Android devices for for testing, but I've been a quite a fond uh, iPhone user from from the start, actually. Right. So you're on the iOS side. Um, yeah. Do you remember your first mobile phone before mobile era? Smartphone. Uh, <laughs> I'm quite reluctant to say that because people will understand my age. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's actually uh, it's it's an Ericsson mobile phone. It's not not even a Sony Ericsson. It's an Ericsson. So I was really wow. in the yeah year 2000, and uh, it's it was like very small, very thin, with um you know like a, a flap um, thingy. I don't know how you mm-hmm. say that. Uh, and at the time, it had uh, it had a low autonomy because it was only three or four days. <laughs> so when you think back of what an autonomy for a mobile phone now is, it's it's really quite quite fun. All right, getting back to twenty twenty one. Today, imagine you left your smartphone at home. What would be the most missing feature for you? Uh, I think it would have to be the camera. Uh, because I, I I I like to take a lot of pictures. I like to 
uh, immortalize some, um, you know, family moments, but also friend, uh, friend moments. So I, I do enjoy all the updates that I see on the, on the, on the iPhone cameras because I, I can put more effects and yeah, so probably that would be the, the one thing that I would miss uh, the most, but you know, I, you know, not having my maps also would be quite, uh, quite, uh, quite difficult. Got it. Um, Perhaps there are some technologies, uh, could be hardware, software, that you believe your beloved iPhone 12 Pro is still missing. What would you like this thing to be able to do that is not capable of doing right now? Um, well, I think you know, getting a ton more autonomy, more more battery life from maybe the the sun or something that would be great. Uh, because we're obviously always <laughs> trying to find a a cord to charge it. Um, yeah. But but I guess what what would make me really excited is is to have always more and more like life enhancement. Um, you know, typically I did a I did a, um, uh, a diet and I used a mobile app to do that. You know, that was incredibly efficient. I have a, a ring uh, to to which is connected to my phone to track my sleep. Uh, so I'm always you know excited by those um, life enhancements and. I guess, you know, being able to have always like more um, timely, uh, you know, tips or, you know, things that are relevant to the context and that would make my life, um, you know, easier or, you know, bring insight to how I conduct my life. These are the elements which I'm, uh, I guess, more excited about. Got it. You went way farther than me. The ring. I stopped with Apple Watch. I thought that was pretty far, but the ring, that's nice. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you and know more about what you do? I think that the best way would be on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not a huge, huge poster, but I, I, I do like to share some uh, insights and I can be, of course, contacted through that uh, channel. Terrific. Thanks a lot for coming on our podcast, uh, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you, Art. Bye-bye. And that was Patrick Maroy, Managing Director EMEA at AppShip. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer if you're still listening to podcasts on your computer, as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.